You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Spirit, you are indeed so good and so faithful. Thank you that you are not an unknown God, that you have made yourself known to us in and through Jesus, and that all of scripture bears witness to him. So we pray now that you would illumine the reading and preaching of your word, that we would be those who not just hear and listen today, but respond with obedience and love with the whole of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Good morning. morning. It's good to see a lot of y'all here this morning, I guess, because you got an extra hour of sleep. Maybe some of you young parents were like, nope. <laughs> it was terrible. I remember those days. Um, well, uh, we welcome. I'm Corey. I'm um, the senior pastor here at Third Church. Uh, welcome if you're visiting today. Really great to see you. Um, we, we have been, this whole fall, we've been studying one of the three great wisdom books in the Old Testament. Um, these three wisdom books, Job, um, Ecclesiastes, and uh, the book of Proverbs are ancient, ancient books, yet have surprisingly relevant wisdom for the lives of our world today. And we've been looking at this book of Ecclesiastes. We've been calling our study How to Be Human, because essentially this book is asking, um, how, how do we live good lives of meaning and purpose as humans in a world as broken and befuddling as the one that, that we live in? So we're winding it up. Um, today uh, is the second to last um, sermon in this series. Next week, we'll wrap it all up. And so today we're looking at um, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7 through chapter 12, verse 8. So if you want to open your Bibles um, or an app on your phone or just listen, um, let's hear the teacher, Hebrew Kohelet, let's hear the teacher and what he has to say today. Chapter 11, verse 7. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a person may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the street, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground from which it came and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. This is the word of the Lord. What makes life meaningful? 
What makes life meaningful? That's been the key question of this great book. And we've seen the teacher experiment with lots of answers to that question about what makes life meaningful. He's tried out everything. He's tried out money and power and sex and wealth and pleasure and all of these things under the sun he's tried. And at every case, he has found a dead end, that these things do not in the end make life meaningful. Actually, they make life rather meaningless. It leads to, to hebel, to vapor. But today, today in this somewhat chilling passage, uh, we get a surprising answer about what can fill your life with meaning. What can fill your life with meaning? Do you know what it is? Embracing your own impending death. The knowledge that your life is short and that your death is around the corner, as terrifying as that sounds, can be, the teacher says, the very thing that leads you to a life of meaning. As the poet Wallace Stevens wrote, death is the mother of beauty. Okay, so what in the world does that mean? <laughs> that, that if we could sum up the, the, the theme for the passage today, you could say this, death is coming quickly, so hurry up and live. Death is coming quickly, so hurry up and live. Squeeze every ounce of joy out of the present moment in a way that brings honor to God so that at the end of your life, you will have lived a life of purpose and not one of bitter regrets. Death is coming quickly, so hurry up and live. All right? Kids, are you with me? Yes. All right. Let's, let's jump in. Let's talk about the painful problem that he addresses. Um, what is the painful problem the teacher addresses in this section? Here it is. It is the inexorable aging process of our body and our continuous movement towards death. You may have learned, um, some of you high schoolers may have learned about the second law of thermodynamics. Do you know what that is? It's the universal law of increasing entropy, that everything is winding down, everything is moving towards stasis, and Kohelet would say, especially you, your body. Um, he is using here in chapters 11, 7, and 8, and 12, 1, and 2, a picture of, um, he's using the metaphor of the seasons to paint a picture of human life. So spring could be equated with the season of birth and of childhood, and summer is the season of maturity and youth and young adulthood. Fall is the season of middle age and aging, and winter is the season of old age and death. And so the teacher is actually now writing from a position of being a person in winter, and he is writing especially with those of you in mind who happen to be right now in the season of summer. Good for you. He's saying, verse seven, um, everything is beautiful and sunny um, and summery for you right now, full of light and beauty, verse eight. But hear me, dark coldness of the fall is coming and then winter will set in before you know it. You know, when you're in the summer, just think about like being in August. When you're in the summer, it's really hard to imagine when it's gonna be cold and you're wearing a down jacket, right? When you're 15, it's really hard to imagine being 30. When you're 30, it's really hard to imagine being 65. But it's coming faster than you realize, as Terry Pratchett said, inside every old person is a young person asking, what happened? <laughs> right? So wake up, get ready, and face the truth. So in order to describe this truth, he gives this wonderful poem. I mean, this is a remarkable poem in chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. Um, and it's basically a man in the season of winter, as some of you are, writing to young people and saying, you want to know what aging is like? Let me tell you. Okay, let's look at the poem together. Verse three, he says, when the keepers of the house 
tremble. The keepers of the house are the arms and the legs of the body, the limbs that keep you moving through life. He says at some point, they'll begin to tremble and shake so you won't be able to perform basic functions like buttoning your shirt or pouring a cup of coffee. And then he says, in the strong men's stoop. Uh, picture that iconic image of Muhammad Ali at the end of his life, um, trembling as he raised the Olympic torch. Even the strongest among us will be beaten and broken by age. When the grinders cease because they are few, that's the teeth, goodbye, steaks and beef jerky, hello, soup and oatmeal. <laughs> he says, um, those looking through the windows grow dim. Eyesight begins to fade. You have a hard time reading the book that you're reading as I just was having a hard time reading <laughs> and the TV that you're watching and the road that you're driving on, yikes. Um, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, your ears, those doorways to the sonic landscape of the world begin to close. Men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs are faint. Sleep becomes difficult. Rise often. You rise early in the morning with the birds, but you can't hear them and you have little to do. You know, when men are afraid of heights and dangers on the street, the world becomes more scary. Reality becomes faster and more threatening as your body becomes slower. The almond tree blossoms, gray hair, white hair, no hair. The grasshopper drags himself along, decreasing mobility, declining flexibility. Desire is no longer stirred. Actually, the Hebrew there says, Literally, caper berries no longer work. That's an aphrodisiac at the time. So this is the onset of impotence. Um, uh, uh, good and holy desires, like for sex and food, uh, become less appealing. Life becomes more bland. And after this long description of aging, Kohelet then anticipates death. He says at some point, this metaphor of the crumbling old house that he's been describing will collapse. Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the street. So remember him, he says, before the silver cord is broken, before the golden bowl is severed, the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken at the well. The precious vessel that is your body, you know, the, the, the apparatus that God has given you that is made for life will at some point be destroyed and shattered beyond repair, no longer able to do what it was made for. And in the end, we will all be put into this silent abyss that is the grave. Some of us are closer than the others, but we're all moving in that direction. Each of us have like a, 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 a metaphorical clock in our hearts with the number of minutes and seconds that we have to live. And at every second, that clock is ticking down. In fact, right now you are about... Uh, 37 minutes closer to your moment of death than you were at the beginning of this service. It is coming for us all. You can pretend it's not true. You can keep on wearing flip-flops in the summer. I mean, in the winter and pretend like it's summer. <laughs> but you can't stop reality. You can't stop the truth that the shadow of aging and death is long, dark, inexorable. This is the terrible truth of the human experience. Some of you visitors are like, this is a terrible church. I'm not coming back here ever again. Okay, but there's hope. So what is, what is the, the realistic response that we might give um, in light of this terrible truth? Well, um, the surprising answer is that this sobering truth, which initially sounds so depressing, 
can actually be one of the keys to live a meaningful life. Death is the mother of beauty. Memento mori, remember your death. Death is coming quickly, he says, so hurry up and live. It can make life meaningful now. So he has wonderful wisdom in this, both to the young and to the old. And so I'm gonna address both to you who out there who are young, then to those who are out there who are old. You can decide which group you're in, all right? Uh, first, for the young, for those of you young out there, you're in the summer, spring and summer of life. Here's his key command, 12, 1, 12, 6. Remember your creator. Remember him. Remember your creator while you're still young and it will give you a beautiful life, especially when you're old. You know, when you're young, it's easy to live in the illusion of immortality. It's easy to feel like I'm always gonna be young. I'm always gonna have a strong body. You know, I can always do everything. Anything is up to, you know, the, the world is your oyster, right? You know, do, do, the world is yours. At times, I think even when you're young, you're, you're almost instructed, like, live it up and do what you want and get trash and have fun and sleep around. It's, it's, there's a strong temptation when you're young to live without reference to God and to live as if there is no creator and to live as if you are the captain of your life. And honestly, I, some of you are living that way. And Kohelet's response to this is, stop it. Remember him. Remember your creator, which means recall the creator God and act decisively for him now. Don't put off God to some other point in your life. You think you have plenty of time? You don't. You think you are indestructible? You're not. In fact, when you're young, he would say, is the very best time to give yourself to God while your body is strong, while your mind is clear, while the canvas of your life is blank. This is the best time to give yourself to the creator because the decisions you make now, the person that you're becoming now will be the person that you are formed to be for the rest of your life. So look at verse nine, he says, you who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. So what he's saying here is, be happy. Did you hear that command? You young people, be happy. He, he says this, this truth of your impending and oncoming death should not lead you to depression. It should lead you to savor and enjoy and embrace the present moment that God has given you. But so few of us do. Did any of you guys ever read that play? I had to read it in high school. Our Town um, by Thornton Wilder. Do you remember that? that classic American play. Um, in the second act, one of the main characters named Emily dies um, giving birth to her second child. But in the third act, she's in the land of the dead and she is given the opportunity to revisit one single day of her life. So she decides to visit the day of her 12th birthday party. And she goes and she sees uh, her parents and she sees her friends and she sees the joy and she sees the... And, and then, but suddenly her joy turns to grief as she realizes that no one there, especially herself, no one is savoring and appreciating the precious gift that this moment is. And she says to her guide, does anyone understand the value of life while they are living it? And the guide says, no. The saints and poets, maybe, but no. And Kohelet is saying, savor this. You know, the knowledge of your life's brevity can lead you to appreciate and savor and, and, and claim the beauty of your life, your health, your strength, your fun, your friendships. Don't keep looking to some future stage. High school, college, young adulthood, married, children, whatever, retirement. Don't keep looking to this future stage as the moment you will arrive. 
throw yourself into the present moment right now and receive these moments as a gift of God's hand. And yet, verse nine, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. <laughs> so live life to the full, give yourself fully to the present moment, but never lose sight of your God because he's your judge, which means the way that you live matters. The way that you treat your body matters. The way that you treat other people matters. The way you handle your relationships matters. One day you will wake up from death and you will stare your judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the face and you will have to give an answer for the way you've lived. So live that way now. And so in some ways you could say verse nine, he is giving you young among us both a, a throttle and a break. You know, for those of you who are all break, worrying about tomorrow, always looking ahead, preoccupied with what's next. He's saying, live in the now. Live freely, live joyfully. Enjoy your body, your life, your youth, your friendships, love, sex, food, all the things that God given. Enjoy them now because life is vapor. It'll be gone before you know it. But for those of you who are all throttle, <laughs> having the time of your life, but living without reference to God, he says, use your break. You are living your life under the gaze. God, your judge. It's hard to believe this sometimes, but decisions you make now will have bearing on your life forever. Verse 10, he says, so then banish anxiety. Actually, the Hebrew word there is vexation. Banish vexation from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. The word there, vexation, means basically the things that cause trouble in your soul, in your body now, Deal with it while you're young. Deal with your junk. You've got issues. And I, I, all of you, me, I'm the chief <laughs> with issues, right? You, we've all got wounds and neuroses and character flaws. And he's saying, look, when you're young, don't put off those things. Face them now. Selfishness, addictions, deceit, pride, shame, lust. We all have this shadow self. And these character flaws will haunt you and affect every relationship that you're in. So it's better to deal with them. Now, you know, I, I'm, I'm still amazed that the, the, the issues that plagued me as a middle school boy, my insecurity, my shame, my emotional impetuousness, you know, my, my, my need for approval from others. These things that plague me as a middle school child are the things that are most destructive in my marriage, my career, and my friendships today. I wish I had dealt more thoroughly with these things when I was young. And what he's saying is, don't ignore these things or else you will one day find that the worst parts of yourself have taken over your life. So get work on your soul now. In all of this, he's calling for preventative wisdom. It's better to take preventative action now rather than face a future tragedy of your own making. So remember your creator. Live for God now, this tiny little window of your life in your choices of friends and life partners and habits and careers. Stop thinking that one day you'll get serious about God and Jesus Christ. Stop living a life of arrogant self-sufficiency. Stop living with God on the suburbs of your life. Bring him downtown. Surrender to him now. Live for your creator because you never know when your clock is gonna stop. One of my good friends, Brian, two weeks ago, went to sleep. His wife woke up at 6.30. He's 44 years old, three little children. Wife woke up, lying in the bed next to him. He had died in the night. Pastor of a big church, Dallas, Texas. 
You never know. Your clock is going to stop. What about the older saints among us? The wisdom is surprisingly similar. Remember your creator. Embrace whatever season you're in without regret and fear. You know, it is very difficult to age well in our society. Have you noticed that? It is very, very difficult to age well in a society that is terrified of aging and death. There is now a massive industry, economists call the anti-aging industry, valued at $64 billion, um, growing by the year. You've seen this stuff, age-defying daily renewal cleanser, antioxidant age-reversing night cream, age-defying diets. This is my favorite, um, hope in a tube. <laughs> wow, if, you're, if all your hope's in a tube, Good luck with that, my friend. Um, but w whether it is a plethora of very highly rated product, by the way, um, but whether it's the plethora of these products or the ubiquitous use of cosmetic surgeries or our obsession with youth or the way that we now in America put away our elderly in homes so we do not have to see them, we are living in an age that is delusional, delusional about the incoming truth of aging and death. We are, we're literally, life is so uncertain and we are fighting against the only certain thing about reality. And the teacher says, stop holding on to your youth. Don't cling to what you were or could once do. It's hebel, it's vapor, it's gone. True freedom comes from accepting the season that you're in, the reality of your aging body and, and rejoicing and remembering your creator and trying so hard to have some other body or to be in some other season or some other life, you will miss the beauty and the simple gifts of the life that you actually have. You'll lose the beautiful moments that are available to you now. Um, I, I spoke at, uh, I discussed this passage at length this week with my dear friend and our pastor, Nan Clark. And Nan said something wonderful. She said, I am finding that old age can be good because it tells you the truth about your life. It, it, it shows you the fragility of so many things you've trusted in. And it drives you to secure your life in God alone, ready to receive the simple gifts of every day from his hand. That is beautiful. And you know, I, as, be, as being a pastor here for almost 20 years, I have had the gift of seeing many saints among us age and die wisely and well. I think of so many. Um, I think of my friend, Ann Bonsack. Remember, do you, do you all know, remember Ann? Ann died a few years ago when she was 100. And I saw her just a couple weeks before she died. Um, she could barely move. Her existence was circumscribed to a tiny room. She could hardly do anything. A cynic would say she had no purpose anymore for existence. And actually, that's one of the cases that those who argue for euthanasia make, that once you are no longer to meaningfully contribute, your life no longer has agency or purpose. But Ann... She continued to show kindness to nurses and aides. She used her long lengths of time alone for prayer. She showed warmth to everyone. Some of her final words were, come Lord Jesus. Have you ever wondered why some people, as they age, they become more bitter, more angry, more of their shadow self? And other people become more beautiful, more radiant, more their glory self? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered how you could ensure to be like Anne? And not like the other? Well, every day, the teacher would say, you are making choices today that will result in the kind of person you are at the end of your life. Anne remembered her creator when she was young. 
She established uh, habits of gratitude, humility, and prayer that she was able to rely on when she was old. And not only that, she remembered her creator in every moment of life that God gave her, even the difficult, fragile, scraping moments. At the very end, she loved, she lived in gratitude and love. That is a life well lived. Let me just say this uh, as an aside. One of the gifts of being an intergenerational church like ours, um, and this is unfortunately becoming increasingly rare in our society to have an intergenerational church, um, is that we can exchange wisdom across generations. For those of you who are a little older in the room, I want you to know that there are many, many young people in our church who are overwhelmed with life and who are confused about their careers and parents who feel like their lives are falling apart and marriages that are struggling to stay above the water and folks who are crushed by debt. And you know what the young people do? They get together and they talk about how miserable they are and they try to pool their very limited collective wisdom. How sad, <laughs> right? And you know what the older people often do? They often look at the younger people and they say, I'm so glad that's not me. You know, I'm so glad to be on those years as a little kid, you can't sleep. I actually get to sleep in on daylight savings time, right? Or though I'm so glad I'm past the teenage years. You know, haha, not there anymore. Look, look, look. When we, when we allow ourselves to be generationally segregated, we forfeit tremendous pools of collective wisdom. Do, if you're older, do what the teacher is, is doing here. Speak to the young. Get to know them. Be in relationships. Come alongside those who are in a stage that is right behind you. And if you're young, don't shun the wisdom of the old. Don't give in to this stupid idea of our culture that everybody over 40 has no clue, right? There are deep riches here. Just because they don't know how to silence their phones does not mean <laughs> that they don't know about life, right? Um, and let me just say this. Um, our whole model of community, our whole model of parish groups and community is entirely built around the idea of geographic-based multi-generational community. That's how we're trying to do community here at Third. So jump in. Okay, so how do we sum up the wisdom of the teacher? In the face of the painful problem of aging and death, he offers some surprising yet realistic wisdom. Remember and rejoice in your creator. Whatever season you're in, spring, summer, winter, fall, winter, savor your life. Embrace the gifts of the present moment with gratitude, but do so in the knowledge that your life is not your own, but belongs to God. The wise person does not deny death but lives in light of it. Memento mori. One of my favorite verses from Ecclesiastes is one that we missed. It says this in chapter seven, it is better to go to a house of mourning than go to the house of feasting for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Ever been to a funeral? The fool goes to a funeral and sits there and is uncomfortable in his seat and feels how grim all of this is and can't wait to get back outside to enjoy fun again. That's the way of the fool. The way of the wise goes to the funeral and looks at the coffin, looks at the urn and says, that's gonna be me. So how do I wanna live right now in the face of the end? Do I wanna be the kind of person who they stand up at the funeral and say, oh, you know, I love pickleball and the 49ers. You know, she dressed real nice. Seriously, is that the kind of person you want to be? Death is coming. Hurry up and live. The reality of death teaches us to steward this precious life we've been given, to remember and rejoice in our creator and his gifts and to live for him every moment. So friends, as we near the end here, 
Um, is this really all that we can say about death? No. This Ecclesiastes is not scripture's last word on death, and therefore um, it is not ours. There's some little hints here in the text that point to something bigger. Look at 12.1. He calls aging the evil days. Some of you feel that. Chapter 12, verse 7, he says, when death is the dust returns to the ground from which it came. This is a reference to the fall, Genesis 3.19, when humanity rebels against God. And the consequence is death, that they would return to the dust from which they came. So unlike the Lion King, kids, which sees death as just sort of part of the circle of life, Scripture emphatically says no to that. That aging and death is not part of the circle of life. It's not natural. It's actually part of evil. It's part of the curse. It's part of what God did not intend this world to be. And all, in fact, Scripture calls death the last enemy. And all of Scripture has a yearning, a hope that one day, despite the fact that creation itself is, and you with it, are in bondage to decay, Romans 8.21, that one day we would be liberated from that bondage, set free from the disillusion of our bodies and the power of the grave. That is the great longing of scripture. And how wonderful is it, my dear friends, that we can come to this table today and proclaim that Jesus Christ, the son of God, beyond time, beyond aging, willingly stepped into our own human bondage to decay that he embraced the most violent terrors of our human existence. His cord was snapped. His body was smashed. His blood was poured. His heart was stopped. The one through whom creation was made was crushed and put into the silent grave. But death could not hold him. And in rising from the dead, Jesus guarantees a day when this world will be remade, renewed, and all who belong to him will be raised with him, given new eternal bodies, bodies that do not break, minds that do not fade, hearts that do not stop. This is our future. This is why Paul can say, even in the, our bodies are wasting away, our hearts inwardly are being renewed because the light and momentary troubles are pointing us to an eternal glory, the glory of the resurrection that is to come that far outweighs them all. You know, the great preacher Tom Long says that at every funeral, there's two preachers. There's a human preacher, and then there's death. And death shows up to every funeral. And death has the same sermon that death preaches every single time. And you know what it is? Damn every one of you, I win. I sever all relationships. I break all community. You belong to me. Death preaches that to us every day. And as people of Jesus, we have the amazing privilege of standing up in the face of death and saying, death, oh, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Thanks be to God. We have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here is the, the beautiful wisdom of Kohelet and the shocking wisdom of this table. Your death is coming quickly, so live now for God. Live for what matters, embrace every moment, receive it with joy, live for your creator. And as you enter into the seasons of cold and winter, know this, the eternal spring is coming. The eternal spring is coming. All praise be to the king of life.
Amen. Let's pray. We praise you, King of life, that you have risen from the grave and you have defeated death, the thing that comes for us all, the thing that damns us, curses us. And yet Jesus shockingly defeats death itself. Help us to be those who live in these aging, death-bound bodies with clarity, with conviction, and with commitment to you, the one who loves us, and give us hope even in our dying moments that life always wins. Amen.